This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back with our Israel podcast tour and in particular our mini-series featuring bridge builders in the land of Israel, people who are able to traverse that unfortunate chasm that seems to exist in particular between the religious and what's called secular populations in the land of Israel. This week featuring founder of Ayelet HaShachar, Rabbi Shlomo Ra'anan. Ayelet HaShachar is an incredible organization that has to date placed 167 rabbinic families on kibbutzim, moshavim, and small communities, towns, all throughout Israel, most or if not all of which lacked any significant Jewish religious presence until their arrival. And these families move in, not to take over in any sense, but to become really a part of the community, to involve themselves and endear themselves, and really ingratiate themselves into communal life. And of course, to offer Jewish learning and experiential opportunities to their neighbors. We met together in Modi'in, a beautiful, blossoming city in the heart of the center of Israel. And you'll hear quite a bit of noise because there was a lot of construction going on around us. The construction was the building of a new synagogue through Ayelet HaShachar, and our interview was actually delayed a half an hour or so so that we could watch the pouring of concrete. And even when we found a somewhat secluded little alcove where we could meet, we still had the beautiful background noise of the building of the Jewish people, of the construction that was going on around us. After we finished, Rabbi Ra'anan insisted that I meet a dynamo woman who is the director of programming and head of the women's division and director of their Chavruta program, where 10,000 people a week study Torah together on the phone. And so I drove out to B'nai Brak, a very religious enclave in the Tel Aviv suburbs, to meet with Ricky Citone, an incredible woman, and we had a wonderful interview. And so we will have a longer, thorough, exhaustive interview with Shlomo Ra'anan, followed by a shorter but very emotional and impactful conversation with his deputy powerhouse, Ricky Citone. And I now bring you our first interview, Shlomo Ra'anan. We are here with Shlomo Ra'anan, director of Ayelet HaShachar. And uh, we are here in the beautiful and historic city of Modi'in. And maybe you'll tell us a little bit about this city. But uh, if you hear a little background noise, it's the construction workers laying cement next door for a beautiful new synagogue that is being uh, constructed here under the Ayalta Shachar auspices. And uh, so much to learn about this organization and this person. Welcome, Rabbi Shlomo. Shalom. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, Shlomo, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from. Uh, you have a wonderful English, but I know your native tongue is as Hebrew, so tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. I born in Yerushalayim, Shari Tzedek, grew up in uh, Haifa, um, high school in Midrashiyat Noam Pardes Khana, 
Um, I am joined to the Air Force School for half a day. Half a day? A half a day, a day. <laughs> and uh, until um, somebody comes to my attention and says, listen, nice boy, with your background, your keeper will uh, stay on your head at the most for two weeks. <laughs> so you should uh, go to yeshiva. Interesting. So you had grown up in, you said you were born in Yerushalayim, but you grew up really in, in Haifa. Was your family from Yerushalayim, really? Or have your parents been in Israel a long time? Yerushalayim and Haifa. My, my mother is from Yerushalayim. My father grew up in Haifa, and they decided after the marriage to move to Haifa. Interesting. Why? Um, jobs, opportunity. What did they do? My father is a social worker. My mother is a special ed Interesting. teacher. Interesting. So like to help people. They like to help people, and uh, they were involved with Chinuch for many, many years. And what was the religious education like growing up? Like you know, in Israel, you you describe it um, the Tilumi, a shtickle modern Orthodox, not really, but on the edge. Can you explain a little bit what that means in an, in an Israeli context? To an average American who doesn't know much about it. That yeshiva education um, before army is is, uh, is opportunity, it's option, but it's not uh, necessary. It's not uh, like like rule, iron rule. You have the opportunity to path your, uh, your uh, experience, yeshiva, army, Everything is open and everything is acceptable. In the Haredi, in the Haredi world, you you know, you have to build yourself according to the clear schedule, and you have to be in yeshiva until you're married, and you have to marry a specific girl, and you have to learn in a kollel in a kollel at least few years. In the modern world, you have all the options. I was I was, you know. In, in a big Sofek, where should I go? To Yeshiva says there that I didn't like so much, directly to, you know, right away to the army, or to learn in Yeshiva. My father told me that I need the experience of a year or two in Yeshiva before I start traveling in the, in the new life, in the new adventure. By himself, he learned in Ponovich. He was very close with Avshach. He also when he was 21, he, he decided to go to the army. My mother learned in Gateshead. Interesting, so very religious. In Yaakov and in Gateshead. And very religious uh, place in England, yes. Yeah, and, a very, yeah, and Rabbi Miller and Dr. Cohen were the, you know, the most common Rabbonim uh, on our Shabbos table. And during the years, they moved to Haifa and they were a little bit more open. But they carry on the a very Torah and European kind of tradition. Were they themselves immigrants? Yes. The both uh, Holocaust survivors. The both survivors. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Were they in the camps or what was their story in, in a quick uh, version? My father um, was saved by the custom train. Wow. Out of Hungary. Out of Hungary. And he grew up, he born in Budapest and grew up in Budapest. And they were in the camp for six months in Bergen-Belsen, you know. But it's not, it was not the, the most difficult right. section of the camp. But they were six months, 
Um, my mother was hidden by a goyim for a year and moved from family to family. My grandparents end up in, uh, in the jump from the train to Auschwitz and they got, the, they got cut back. They jumped from the train? Yes, they jumped to the train. And they must have been already older people a little bit. No, they were about 30. Okay. About 30 and um, and they, um, they jumped from the train, they got injured and they came back to their original city. This is my mother's parents eh, from Preshburg, Bratislava, what's yeah. it called? Hassam Sofer, yeah. Yeah, we're very close. My, uh, my grandfather was the right hand of Rebdovich Mwelunga, the Nitro Rav. Nitro Rav, yeah. And, um, and, they got cut, right? and they got cut, and my grandmother had to, to go through Ravensbrück, and she ended up in Bergen Belsen, 34 kilogram few hours before, you know, going to different world. She was complete, uh, what you called Muslim. Like, right, a skeleton. Yeah, out, after the, out of the, almost in coma. Wow. And my grandfather uh, was uh, redeemed, was released. Liberated, from, yeah. Liberated from Theresienstadt. And they found each other back? Miraculously, they found each other back, and all the children that they're hitting by the going. Um, they uh, they came in '48 to Eretz soil After he made some uh, some business, my grandfather hosted a Knesset right after the war in Marienbad. Uh. He was involved with the Knesset before the Knesset war. Knesset was. Oh. Explain what that is. All the rabbis gathering together. Yeah to discuss the, um, the events that they had to go through. My mother was the uh, only woman that ever spoke in the Knesset Gdola as a little girl. And my grandfather was very proud. And uh, she had a speech in, on Shabbos, on uh, Marienbad. Not a long speech, but a very, very moving uh, did she remember her speech later on? Yes, she remembered. What did she speak about? You know, since they grew up uh, by the going, the, the, they were very familiar with uh, Catholic um, praise and dabbling, right, right. and they're very, very attached to the Catholic uh, oh. life. And whenever my mother saw the nuns, they ran to kiss them. and. They knew, all the, they knew all the praise. Sure, they were raised in that home, right? As a sister refused to come back home, and my mother also, as a fifth, five years old girl, she refused to come home, and they couldn't sleep unless they have, you have a cross right. next to them. And my grandfather, the parents couldn't take them right away. And when they met, my grandfather says, you know, Jesus is good, but it not, it's not ours. Mm. My mother shared those ideas when we opening shul in a very, in a, in a very special kibbutz, Steboker Ben Gurion kibbutz. Sure, Steboker Betach. You know, beautiful, so, I love it there, beautiful. Yeah, so we built a shul there. So in the celebration of the shul, she shared that, that comment. She says to them, you know, you have, we have everything from the world but not necessarily, it's good, but it's not necessarily ours. 
So we have to look, you know, to search for our own treasure. She sounds like an amazing woman. She is, yeah. She's very sharp. And, um, and then the maid, after the war, the maid keep telling them, you know, there was a spring, I don't remember, or, or a summer, and it was raining the whole week. And she told, uh, she told, uh, and on Shabbos, it was raining even more. And um, she told my mother, you see, God give the rain, giving the rain on Shabbos because he doesn't like the Jews. So the Jews has to stay home and not going out to the prayer. And wow. On Sunday, it was uh, raining again, very powerful. <laughs> And my mother said to her, you see, God, hey, God doesn't like the Arab Christian. <laughs> if he avoids them going to the church. She says, the difference between the, the, the Christians and Jews, that the rain here in Europe is to make a trouble to the people. But in reality, so the rain that we have for the Jews is to grow up oranges. It's a blessing, yeah. It's a blessing it's for, for the orchards. And she was a fifth year, you know, fifth years old. And wow. She, and um, on the Knesset the gathering right after the war, when Bichemai Levine and other All leaders, the rabbis, yeah, yeah, that's, that that survive, came. So he he asked her to stand in front of everybody and share the story. You know, the point that how much the Hashem is loving, still loving the Jews and how you should uh, define, you know, the broche and, uh, and the difficulties. Incredible, incredible. My, wow. uh, my other grandfather, he lived in Budapest, and in 44, when he heard that Rebbe Arun Belzer, looking for a place to hide, to hide, to yeah. hide in, in Budapest, he offered his own apartment, his only one that uh, was ready to move from Pest to Buda with eight children and gave the apartment to the Rebarn Belzer, even though that he never heard anything about Hasidish. He wasn't he was, Hasidic himself. He was not, he was Oberlander, he was Ashkenaz. He never heard about the Minogi Hasidim. He knew that he's a Hasidim. Um, he just knew there was a great rabbi and he, and he wanted to he have heard, him. He heard that he's a rabbi. I asked him once, what's the point, what you heard about him? He said, somebody came from Bells and shared that the Rebbe was when he was very, very sick and he had a fever on 40 degrees Celsius, like very mm -hmm. high, basically cannot hold himself, almost fainted. The two him hold him in two hands and he's continued to learning. Wow. So he says, if there's a Jew like that still in Europe, I will like, I will, I'm ready to, to I give. I help him, yeah. And he, when they move in for six months or so, he had a long discussion with Abraham Belzer about Hasidish Eminogim, he was a Talmud Chochem, my ah. grandfather was Ashkenaz. He never heard about Kvitl. So he learned about all these things from having yeah. him in his, in his apartment. Yeah, so he come every day to see what's going on, and he, he took opportunity to talk with him. And when Rebbe Arnbelzer had to run away from Budapest because the police started to right, find him. Right, trying to find him, yeah. Yeah, where is he? So he took all the, all the family and put them online on the wall, two parents and eight children. 
and he, he promised them that they will save from, from, from... He gave them a blessing for safety. A, blessing, a promise. Wow. More than a blessing, a promise, and I'll tell you why I meant that. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, one of the few Haredi family, I don't know if they, in, on, on that train was a big family, like with eight children, I think they are the only one. They, yeah. they called to be, to, to join the, the, um, the, the journey, the, to join, to jump on the train. Together with the Satmarov. The Satmarov had to pay a lot of money. Right. My father was, uh, was quite, he, he was a Melamed, in the, was a Boychen in the community. Didn't have money. Didn't have money with eight children. And uh, they were so they to be on the train. The Satmirov, when the train started to move, started to move east instead to west. So he says to people, he came from car to car, says people hidden, start to say Vidui. Because they thought they were going to be killed. In Auschwitz. We are on the way to Auschwitz now. Thought it was a trick. Yeah. He, and he didn't trust the Syrian that they right. would pay because what the Zionists they, were the ones who had arranged it and to what they would pay was a money was a trust really this was through like uh, the Bergson group right that train that train so and my grandfather from because of his COVID wait until he leave the car and he came in and says he didn't it or they do be be happy be, be happy yeah he was disputing the Satmar yeah, yeah but, but for was a COVID he says, I have a promise, not a blessing. Ah. I have a promise from the Belzerov that I will end up in Swiss and Eretz Israel. So if I will, we're all together. We're all together. We're in the same boat. <laughs> same train. <laughs> same train. And they end up being together in Bergel and waiting for the money and the... Right. And uh, my father had the opportunity to be Meshamesh of the Satmerov in Bergen-Belsen. As a little child, he was, he was able to sneak out from the, from the small room and bring water because Rabbi Yoelish Satmerov was very, very busy with the Tila Sedaim. He was always washing his hands. Constant. Even in the camp. So the older people couldn't leave free the camp to the yard. As a little child, the Nazis let him. So he was. He was able he to was, sneak water. He was sneak water, you know, ready. every day, every day, many, many times. Uh, uh, we have story about about those relationship. Do they the give family. you special honor when you go visit Satmer because of this? Bells certainly. Bells, yeah. Yeah, Satmer. I was not, you know, was not privileged to. What was uh, the family name? I assume it was not Ranan back then. Yeah, back then was Reiner. Reiner. Yosef, my grandfather was uh, called Yosef Yudah Reiner. And after the war, I asked him, okay, Saba, tell me, okay, so you have a miracle from the Belzerov, but what's, what's the nature story of that? Right. So he shared with me that even though that he was part of the Haredish community, but he has unconditioning love to Eretz Israel. And when he was eight years old, every penny that he saved, he bought a Karen Akemet stamp. JNF, like a JNF, yeah, stamp yeah. to to be ordered to plant trees. Plant trees in Israel. In Israel. And so he had like an inherent love of Israel. Inherent love, and the and the Zionists knew about that that the, that the from child 
from the Haredi, she, that now is, is kind of one of the teachers, and I'm not saying leaders, but very involved in the community. Right. He is very connected to Haredi soil, so when they have to pick up the, the, the Haredi family, because they want show that they want to show the world that it's equal it's opportunity a, and they're saving everyone it's not really equal so they were like the token yeah, family yeah so they were yeah so and they, they selected him because of his the proven zionist dedication proven Zion. and when he came to earth soil he ended up in haifa because he said to, to the first piece of land that I will step in Israel, that's where I will stay. Uh, and he, so he didn't want to move. And the boat came to Haifa, so he didn't want to move. Unbelievable. To move. So he went he, to Jerusalem for a short time, but came back. No, this is my grandfather. Ah, my your father. Your father. My grandfather ended up most of his life in Haifa. Ah. And um, he, was a, he was a teacher, he was a principal of school. Eventually, um, you have to know he's a guy, he, he, was, he was a rabbi that... He never stepped four hours without aloha. He was very, you know, from four o'clock in the morning to to always learning and always just learning. And that was he was interested. He was very close with Rav Vosner, with Shmuel Vosner, yeah, with a Hungarian rabbi. And all his life, he was kedusha uh, and tara and limut Torah in Eretz Yisrael. Wow. Uh, he's Ashkenaz, but he went to the mikveh every morning. Well, he had this, he had the influence from the Belzer Rebbe, Hasidic influence, I maybe. never ask him if it's after or before, but, you know, maybe in Budapest, uh, also, the, I don't know, but, yeah. you know, he was, uh, I remember that I asked him what time he got to the mikveh, so, when he told me the time, I says, but it's not on my watch, that's our. They left that off my watch, I'm not up then. <laughs> That's a good you know, one. You know, for one of these, a kind of Zionist, but Oberlander is, is a different is a different type of word. I remember that when I was uh, 16 or 17, one day I came and I slept in his house. Your grandfather's house? My grandfather's house. I woke in the morning and I realized I didn't take, took my tefillin with me to the, I was tra- traveling or right. visiting. And I woke up at seven o'clock. He's after the after the the, the, the davening and tushi room that he gave. <laughs> He's already up for three hours. <laughs> more, and uh, and um, I asked the tefillin. So he went to his room, came back after two hours, and I see that he's red, nervous, with tears. I says, Sabah, what for?" He said, "This is the first time." in the history of those feelings that they will put, put on a on a hair. On a you call it blorit, like a, a stickle hair. Like a uh bag. It's the first time that uh, Maybe they were never put on a young child before or a young No, they never put, you know, he they never put on a hair. I mean he he kept the tradition for Ah, uh, because he didn't he had his hair cut short. Right. Right. Uh, so he was upset yeah, that it was going to be. He was upset, he was happy, both of them, that, right. you know, that, you know, his child is put fame in Eretz Yisrael. Right. Baruch Hashem, he was that all of his children show me Shabbos and put fame in every day. Yes, he, uh, he has eight children and he had uh, another child that born, another girl that born in Eretz Yisrael after the, after after the, the war. Yeah. After the war. I mean, my grandmother, Alea Shalom, was very sick. She was a heart, she had a heart problems, and even those, he was willing to give up his apartment, his safety. You know, Pest was was known like the 
like the safe place for the Jews. Okay. Everybody from the village and went for Ungi tried to come to, to Pest. And he was willing to move from to Buddha and having his children going on a train every day. It was not the, the not so uh, sympathy, sympathy. It's not so right. It's not a pleasure. Uh, sure, it's an incredible story. So this is the background you grew up in. Um, My grandfather end up open here in Eretz Yisrael hotel in Yerushalayim ah. in Rehoven Gedi in Talpiot. He was a neighbor of Shai Agnon ah. and Bibi Netanyahu. Really? You know, Professor Netanyahu. Professor, yeah. And Professor Klausner that got the Nobel Prize about his famous book about our brother Jesus. Right. And this, this hotel basically serves all Gdoyle Israel. And just the soil, basically. It's just mostly. for Torah scholars, basically, Torah the hotel? scholars, and you know, it was a business and it was a big chesed uh, institution. Every name that you mentioned was a uh, part of that. Uh, it was like a destination mission. for all Everybody. the great Torah scholars called, of Israel. It's called Pension Kami, uh, the Finkel, the, the, the Roshive of Mir, and Rav Jungreis, and Rav Epstein, and the Chibinerov. And Pratskal Avramsky, and Rav Ozner, and Rav Landau. Everybody was, um, took opportunity to be in that hotel. They were, they served the people, but they also uh, gave them opportunity to really rest in the right atmosphere, in the right, right. in the right respect. So basically, they were surrounded. So he had many years. He has two hotels one in Yerushalayim during the summer and one in Tiberia during the, during the winter. Uh-huh. So he gave option to whoever need to take place in, in, in those uh, hotels. Uh-huh. And it was very close with Pratskal Avramsky, basically was a bit biased by him. After the close of the hotel, it was stay by him on Pesach and every holiday. And, uh, and the relation was uh, very, 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 very close. I remember as when I started to learn in uh, Brisk in David Soloveitchik, I mentioned that my mother shared that the servant came from the Brisk oven, and he was sick to arrange everything, to arrange the bed. So he smiled, he says, it was not a servant, it was me. I was the servant, the suffering servant. So I says in Hebrew, Mesharet, or help. We were saying in the more Kovedika, uh, the Gabai. Right. But he says uh, it was uh, it was me. Um, basically, he was he was trust completely trust. But but everybody. Right. Maybe. Even Rav Lando, Rabbi Yaakov Lando from Neibar, as I mentioned, um, Bialerebe and all these great rabbis. All these great rabbis and and and, and Admorim and. Uh, Right. Uh-huh. Um, so all these stories coming because I always remember that my grandfather was, since he was a child, he was about planting trees in Altisuan. Right. And 40 years after this story, I said to myself, that's a way that Altisuan is built. My grandfather planted trees and I tried to plant synagogue and shul. Yeah. In, in places that need it. It's Chayim, the tree of life. Yeah. And I feel like uh, 
my grandfather built the frame and we try to make it uh, meaningful. Right. So I'm curious, well, why did you go, you know, when you were growing up, you, you said you started in the Air Force. So what made you kind of think you wanted to go to the Air Force? And then what changed so quickly? Like, why did you change your mind after such a short time? You know, before, before I came to the first day, my father kept telling me that... Uh, right, you were saying to go study. Yeah, but you have to know that in 79, to, be, to, be, to, to join to the... to accept to the Air Force School was the biggest pride. Very that, prestigious. Yeah, I don't remember happy day beside my marriage day. <laughs> and, my, you know, that I was so happy, so You wanted to proud. be a fighter pilot? To be, uh, to be so proud of myself. It's not a fighter pilot. The status is, is, is like above everything that you can dream. Right. And I came and, and when I, after, after they introduced us the, the base, the programs, we, enter, we gathered to eat lunch. And at the end of lunch, I was sneaking to Davin Mincha. Uh-huh. And for many, many, we were maybe hundreds of people, we have few where one or two people that came to Davin Mincha at the shul in Chatzarim stood a fresh Balchuva navigator. He just finished the school. He was a Balchuva. His name was Duki Benarzi. And before we start Mincha, or after we start Mincha, he came to me and says, friend, Haver, this is the best place in the world but only after one or two years in yeshiva. Huh. If you don't go to yeshiva, the kippah will not, uh, will, not, will not keep the kippah on you. Right. And uh, he ended this, Duki Benazi ended up the rabbi of the Air Force <laughs> after years. And I told him that, uh, you know, I don't see him very often, but from time to time he says, you know, you have so many schuyot because your advice was shocking me. And it changed the course of your life. Yeah. So and you went off to study right away? You just left? Did you yeah. get in a lot of trouble? It, like was, it was, I already started learning Yeshivat HaNegev HaRevi Sochor Meir. And after a few months, I came to the, I was, you know, called to, to, to the school. And when I left the Yeshiva, and I, my friend knew that I go to the school, Revi Sochor Meir was very, very nervous. Right. And he waited for me. And the, the minute that I left the base, so he caught me, called me, caught me back, and and explained me how important it is to be to be in yeshiva. Was not so clear to me then. Right. But after one year or more, or the second year, I realized that uh, that's my place. So you decided not to go back to the Air Force. Exactly. At that point. Oh. Exactly. So then, did you study for a long time after? I assume you got married sometime after that, and. Yeah, I, five years after that, I then I finished four years in Shivata Negev, one year in uh, in Brisbane of David Soloveitchik, and I got married. I'm my wife from Bnei Brak, uh-huh. originally from Chicago, but they oh, end up American. Ah. Yeah, so they end up they end up in Bnei Brak, and she got a job and a job for for a new for a fresh avrech, Ranan avrech. Yeah, Ranan is fresh. Ah. It's like a pikuach nefesh. So I moved to Bnei Brak and I learned by Michael Feinstein, Zichrono Livroche, the brisker of son-in-law. Yeah, I was in his apartment before. No air conditioning. Top floor. Very hot. Kahaneman <laughs> 101. 
very hot. I just remember he wasn't at all disturbed by the lack of air conditioning. I was there three minutes and I was I was schwitzing. I I, mm-hmm. I couldn't take it. And he's there like this is how his whole life is. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, he was a model. Benit Rock is so hot and humid. Even those days. Even those days. This is 20, 20 years ago, maybe. And um, so I learned by him four very special, very special years. Yeah. You know, beside what's, what his clearly, you know, gave me, but his, uh, his personal, personal life. Yeah. Personal was, connection. Personal connection. Wow. And, um, it's hard to find. Yeah. It's hard to find uh, something close. In in his davening, in his Avasi soil, of yeah. course in his learning. And you know, by him you saw that Lulei Toras Hashashuai Azavati Boini. He suffers so much, yeah. he suffers so much that the only relief that he has, only the only simche that took over completely was Limudator. So when he was learning, he was just... He was always learning. Was always I never saw him out of learning. But that gave him a reprieve from his suffering. But he had a lot of physical uh, ailments? Physical and family... Uh-huh. Um, issues and... Um, so, but the Torah hold him and he was like a, like a young boy. Wow. And he sees a simple of the limit day by day, no matter what he uh, wow. what he gone through. Incredible. So then, after you were studying, you decided to go into education. What, what did you do afterwards? Because I know you didn't start this organization until you know a while ago, but not not so so long ago. So, what did you? So in between? after I finished learning by Remichel for four years, I decided I want to learn Dayanus. So I went to a koilel in Bnei Brak. Be a judge, a rabbinical judge. And I was there for two years, also a very special place. One day we got a phone call that the community in Los Angeles uh, looking for a special teacher to help build a school, Ivrit Bivrit. Which for, school? It's called Gurarie. Okay. In Los Angeles. In that time, I had difficulty to pay our mortgage. We just buy a new apartment. Right. And I say to myself, that, that, that's great. LA, you know, here we go. <laughs> LA, we, here we go. From the neighborhood to Hollywood. It's uh, quite a long... I had, <laughs> few, I had a few relatives. In LA? In LA. First, my great-uncle was a shtick learner, and he was a chazan ah. in Bay Jacob. A very, 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 very special uh, person. He was my great-uncle. And my other great uncle was the founder of the community Bed Jacob Congregation yeah. in San Diego. Ah, okay. Bo Stern. Okay, wow. So that's, um, is that where Rabbi Bogopolsky is currently? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So um, we had some connection. Um, I called Avrech, that part of the community. I didn't know then. I never heard about him, but I heard that he's a Vrech Shlama Gattesman. Oh, okay. You know, Zev Olson Zal, son-in-law. Right, And I asked him, you know, is it Torah in Los Angeles? He says, yeah, absolutely, come. So I came and we 
end up five years in Los Angeles. Huh. I taught in some of the school, or Eliyahu and Yavne. My wife That's taught right. mostly in Yavne. And after five years, we decided, actually my wife decided, <laughs> it's time to come back, you know. She had enough? She had enough away from the parents, and she was very, very worried about the children. Right. How they will grow. She insisted to live outside of the Jewish community, zero influence. Yeah. She says, if you live in the Jewish community, we will never leave. You will be American. My children will be American. And her father, you know, made a big move to to Earth Israel. He, right. He gave up a lot of his career, and and Mishpacha magazine made a beautiful article about him like oh, yeah? three weeks ago. Who you is know, that? His name is Lenny Whisper. He was oh. a Korean man. Ah, that's your father-in-law. Okay, yeah. I read that article. Sure. Yeah. So he kept. He got captive and injured. Right. On Korea. Korean War. Korean War, and then he made the whole decisions. You know, the whole move back to Yiddishkeit. Right. And um, in 1965, they moved to Israel. A difficult recession, time to move to Israel. Yeah. Recession and. Uh, and it's before even the Six Day War? Yeah, two years before. So you and came back and, and what did and you do? Did you have a job when you came back? I thought, you know, after five years in, in Los Angeles, I might go back to learn to, to a toilet, um, to feed myself back. Right. Then I have no time to, uh, to think. <laughs> you know, we had uh, four children and I had to go to the army to wait for me. Ah, they're waiting for you. Anyway, actually, you know, they, I got invitation back and back and back for many years to come to come to, to the, the Air Force. Yeah, maybe three or four years. I kept trying. Kept yeah. trying, and when I came back in '35, uh, says no, now it's time to. So I went to the army. As a rabbi. In the beginning, as a, you know, as a regular soldier with the training, short training, right, and. I was a helper of the helper of the helper of the chef of, the, of one of the base. <laughs> assistant, assistant, assistant. Anyway, the assistant, the assistant. I was a, the last one to leave the kitchen. I have to peel all the onions. Oh boy. To make it ready for tomorrow. And after uh, maybe a short time, I uh, moved to be like a rabbi. Right, of a base? Of, you know, the main base. And we, I gave shiurim and lectures all over uh, the center base of Israel. Uh, every day, one or two, two lectures. And did you have a passion already at that time for reaching out across the aisle to other kinds of you know, Jews, the Jews from different backgrounds? Because I think the reputation of you know, certainly the, the very religious community in Israel is that it can be somewhat insular and that people aren't necessarily looking to reach out beyond the community. And even if they are, maybe don't have the skills or the, the vocabulary to do that. So was this something that you already were, were passionate about or did you just kind of fall into it? That's, that's a very interesting. Um, in Los Angeles, I met many, many Israelis, Americans as well, and I started learning with them. And during this time, I start to understand that for many Israelis, it's just a matter of 
opportunities. Yeah. Just a matter of opportunities. In the army, I, I realized that more and more. I remember that when I heard the radio programs, the radio talks, it's, it's appeared to me very strange, even painful. There was no relationship, there was no, the brute, no conversation. And I thought to myself, if, if that is real, it's, that is necessary, and where I am in, the, in, that, in that place. I thought, you know, during, during, my, ser during my army service, what, what I actually will, will do when I will finish as a service, and I didn't know. But I remember going back, going to Bnebrak several times a week, passing a city, next to our uh, home. We live in Rehovot. When we came back from Los Angeles, we moved to Rehovot. We like the city. It's a very interesting city. One end, very intellectual, very friendly, no extreme. Everybody lived together. Hasidim, Gitaim, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, it's a peaceful place. And we pass a city called Nesciona. I ah. can smell that it's kind of neglected city in terms of the Torah centers. I'm going there next week to interview a uh, general, retired general, Almog, from the Alei. Yeah. 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 So Nesciona. So you felt that there was a need there for some Jewish uh, influence, and some Something education there. You know, a city in Eretz Yisrael with no Torah is missing something. Sure. I was not necessarily thought, you know, to make Palechuva and to... Just to okay. give them exposure and to give them an as, opportunity as to learn. An opportunity, I, I realized that... Uh, so what did you do? So in a very short time, I moved 15 families to live in Estziona. Uh -huh. We opened a koilel. I was teaching in the koilel. We learned you vomit then. And you had to raise money for this? I have to raise money, serious money for that. And for two years we made them, um, you know, can't say incredible work, what? Serious. Made an impact. You know the fact that you have a Vahim that's living in Inestiana? Yeah. It's rare. It was even strange. Yeah, but we have like, like a very, very, very special Besmedresh, very happy Besmedresh in the old streets of, of Nestiana when Nestiana was a founding start. In Rechov Tel Aviv, Rechov and Reuven Lehrer, really the heart of the heart of, uh, of Nestiana. As every, as every Moisad, you know, in the beginning you had, you had incredible Seattle Dishmai, you asked me about money. I don't know how I had money. <laughs> it just came. It just came. It was a big expenses. Yeah. Well, you had to pay these scholars every month. And every month to pay the rent. You know, I'm asking to move and live. Right. Because then I realized that everything is about community. Right. I learned that in Los Angeles. I learned that in other places that I was visiting that if you want to actually create something that is, is, is permanent, that is, is kavua, that it's influence, so you have, to be, you have to be settled inside the city and actually... You have to be a part of... Part of the, the city. So this kind of gave you the idea that you want to do this in other towns? Not necessarily. I, um, I was looking for money and came back to Shlamagatasman and I uh, you know, shared with him my difficulties. And his wife, uh, Bella, suggests me go, go to, go to my father. 
And just to, to, so people understand, her father was Zev Wolfson. Zev Wolfson was one of the great philanthropists of the last generation, uh, giving hundreds of millions of dollars, a really an unbelievable person. And to this day, his children continue his legacy and run major operations and philanthropic organizations around the world. So uh, it's a good place to go. It's a good place to go. Um, I have to tell you that you're one of my biggest mentors and teachers and rabbis. Zev Olson for my personal uh, work. Um, he's not only a philanthropist, but he's, he's, he was, he, he's a shtickle, Avas Israel. Right, he just loved all Jews. He, and he was care, and he was thinking about, you know, the money that he gave is one, but to, you know, where his mind was and his heart has even nothing to do with the money. He right. was, was, was worried and cares and love and passion about Klali Soil. He was worried about the future of Klali Soil. And he decided actually to devote most of his time, I can, I can tell, all his time for Klali Soil. And so and you went to him and he was excited about your, your concept? He was not so excited. He didn't know exactly what I'm doing, but he says, a young guy, well, one center is not for me. <laughs> I'd be happy to help you. He thinks big. Yeah. If you do it at least in 10 places. Uh-huh. So this kind so, of opened your eyes to doing something more. So he says to uh, Mrs. Evolson, I appreciate your dreams. I came here to, to ask you for a certain amount of money. Now you want me to be involved with five or 10 times bigger uh, commitments? Yeah. So that's me. <laughs> Take it or leave it. So, and he told me, you're capable to do that. He gave me the strengths. Wow, he really pushed you to, to see beyond what you, you thought you could do. Yeah, and I couldn't respond positive to his offer. It will take a few days, or a week, or two weeks, and then we come to a compromise that, that we'll do it in five places. Okay, and he would help fund you know, a lot of it? No, no, 50%. 50%. That's how That's we like to do things. Yeah, matching. Like to do matching grants and, and have, uh, you know, make sure that you have some skin in the game, as we say in, in America. Exactly. And um, I will think about, you know, about every penny that, I'm sp- that I right. spend. And he hold that him and Kemach and Torah, it's everybody rules. So if you are a rabbi, you have to be part of the kemach. You have to right. make sure. You have to be part of the raising of the money. And Imen Kemach and Torah is a rule that nobody can be privileged not to not to take. Everyone has to suffer. <laughs> Part of the suffering. Every, every Jew. Yeah. Every Jew. So uh, where did you go with those five places? What did you did you have like your sight set on some specific communities? Yes. So I was looking like in Estiona. My way is we're going to a place that nobody went before. Right. And Star Trek, you know, where no man has gone before. <laughs> so Modin, when we're sitting here, was just established, so we opened a community here. Mm. We heard, you know, what's the policy of Modin? It was not necessarily Makom Torah, this, it's built for secular Jews. It was built as a secular city, right? Secular city, secular attitude. And we built, we opened a community in Tivon. But me, as when I grew in Haifa, Haifa known like the Red City. Yeah because the buses and the public cars opening, running on Shabbat, 
And we as a Haifa resident called Tivon, that it's, it's, it's a city, or like a suburb next to Haifa, like the red Tivon. You know, Haifa is, is even more, even more Haifa secular. Is, yeah, Haifa is even is whiter, whiter compared to Tivon. Right. It's a very intellectual place, and I decided to open there as well. They just start to build West Rishon Lezion, that it's city by itself. So we went there. We opened a community in Yafo. We are the only ah. coil then in Yafo. So Tel- beautiful there. Yeah. So it's become like a very popular place. Yeah. Like El Tashachar, El Tashachar today. Every new Mossad and every old Mossad adapt the name of El Tashachar. Now, now you get confused. What is El Tashachar? What is it? Yeah. Kirat Sefer is talking about changing the name to... Right, to change the whole name. That's because of Rav Somebody calls me. Yeah, that's, that's another story. My relationship with Rav Steyman. But somebody calls me this morning and says, in Ra'anana, did you see that just open a, a new coil in Ra'anana calls the Yelet HaShachar? So uh, it's interesting. It's we a good know, name. We all know that there's only, that there is in the word Yelet HaShachar and only Yelet HaShachar. That's it. <laughs> and that's one and only. <laughs> yeah, that's only. Slowly, slowly. So, so was the model that you brought a group of scholars to each city? Or because I think at this point, from what I understand, the model is more putting in even just one rabbi in a city and trying to build a synagogue and trying to create a sense of community around a synagogue and around one really passionate individual or family. So it's both. Okay. And I want to explain you, as having like those Torah centers, you know, spreading in Israel, and we had like in a short time also 20, 20 years ago in Zderot, and we have a program in Ramle. So I happen to know more and more and be aware of what's going, what's going in Israel. And I realized one day that there are hundreds of hundreds of communities in Israel, settlements, kibbutzim, moshavim, yishuvim, mitzpim, what we call, that had no experience with, uh, even with Jewish calendar, right. as we understand that. Not no Yom Kippur davening. There's no infrastructure there for Jewish mm. life. Nothing. Right. Um, most of the houses with no mezuzah. Mm-hmm. Even the vast majority of with no mezuzah, or maybe a few. Mila is not so clear. Pes Mila is not so clear. Mm-hmm. And my first is the biggest holiday for social, the communist. Uh, right. So is it really like socialist uh, vestiges? of the previous era, really. You know, so I decided what's disturbing mostly that no bar mitzvah is now. And they never, never have opportunity to sneak to the beauty of, 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 uh, of our tradition. Yeah. They ignore it, they're afraid from it. Right. So after Zev Wilson, you know, was willing to help me, I thought, you know, we have like Hack horizon now, maybe I can, I can grow. Bigger vision. And I start to send Minyonim almost every Shabbos. To these different towns within different, the Minyan? Different kibbutzim, different towns. And how do people north. react in these towns? So for a while it was very, very good. Good? Very good. Beside the cost, that it cost me fortune every Shabbos to, right. to move 10, 15 people. And you know, and make sure that they have the right 
you know, the right commendation. And yeah, food the right and the programs and, and everything, yeah. yeah. And where Shabbosim that they made 20, 20 sentiments? 20 in one time. Wow. One time, on Shabbos. And That's a lot Shabbos. of logistics. And, <laughs> and money. Yeah. And as usual, HaKadosh Baruch Hu give you a big siyata dishmaya in the beginning, and then he telling you, you know. Time to get to work. <laughs> in the beginning, I had to think for a second before I decided. I don't know how all this comes from. And the Seattle Dishmai of the beginning. And um, until it becomes like a, a real, real project, and it's going to grow, and I end up with worried about how I continue to grow and support. I remember one day, I was sitting in a convention in Ramada. I don't remember which convention was it, but I came to raise some money. And Rav Shlomo Katsin for Bet Mizras Fadi sat next to me. In the lobby, we start to talk, and he and he heard what I am doing. He says, "Beautiful, but you are you're completely wrong." He says, says to me, he "says In what way?" He says, "Instead to send a minion every Shabbos, send a guy to live there. Send one family. Yes, and let them build family. a minion from within the town. Yeah, cheaper." I couldn't answer. I was completely shocked. I tried to understand what he's talking about because I knew the places, and. Um, he said to me, do you believe that any Turdic family will go for, to a place with no minion, with no kosher store, with no Eruv, with no minion on holidays, with not welcome atmosphere? Yeah. So he says differently. He says, I train Rabonim and send them all over the world to Uzbekistan, to Kyrgyzstan, to Tikhichistan, to Argentina, 800 away from Buenos Aires. So you will find some, some good family that will go 70 kilometers away from Bnei Brak, 100 kilometers away from Bnei Two hours driving from Yerushalayim. Yeah. If I'm doing that, you can do it here too. Says, Afketsin, do you have any idea who should I start with? He says, yes. I have a rabbi in my yeshiva that his son got married, a very capable son. I will talk with him. We'll come back to you. After a day or two, he calls me back and says, listen, he's ready. <laughs> and his father ready as well. Where he lives, he lives in Neibak. Elena Quayle already, but he's willing to do, to take up on himself. A week after, I'm helping him packing, going with him, with a truck to the first our yishuv called Sarona, up in the Galilee, wow. in between Kfar Tavor and Yavneel. During, during this time, we placed already 167 families in 167 communities. Wow. And how does it work? Do you support the family? Do they get a stipend? Do they get a salary? We, Is it? Yeah, we Or do they just get money for programming in the community? Yeah. How does they it work? They get money for their rent, they get money, they get a, in addition a salary and they get money for their program. Okay, so this is their job. It becomes their full-time job to work full in the community. Job, but we, we insist that those, uh, those family will learn in Aquila, or at least will teach. Will teach in the community. Teach in the community or in, in, in the local schools. But, but are you, it can't be that you're supporting 167 full-time rabbis in these communities, right? It must be that are the local communities eventually 
stepping into support yeah. as well. There were time that we supporting. I mean, that's millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. It was time that we supporting 86 or 87 uh, communities in one time. Um, slowly, slowly, the community or, or the hire or the officer job or they got appointed by the Rabbanut to be a rabbi. Ah, okay, the Rabbanut will. Or the community decided they, they're looking for somebody, somebody else or better than him <laughs> and they hire. And they can the guy. Tell you, yeah. But I can tell you that right now we're supporting close to 42 uh, centers. But from 167, we, I think 165 places, we made a big move. Big impact. A big impact, a big move. And basically the family just moves in and invites people for Shabbat meals and, and teaches course. classes and, and the tries first, to start a yeah, And the first three months are just introduce themselves right. to the community. They're basically walking right. afternoon at night on right. the street and and introduce themselves and invite people for And Shabbat. are people suspicious? People say, you come here to convert us, to, to yes, brainwash yes. us, to, I mean, yes. what's the reception typically? You know, yeah, usually it's, it's like, it's like that and there are some people that doesn't care, most of them doesn't care. And there are some people that really interested. In the beginning, it was much harder. Today, we had, we had like a request every day uh, from different communities. Because today it's already known. And known and, and trust. We do it in the right way. What's the right way? How do you define that, your program in order to do something in a way that's going to be recept re receivable and, and comfortable? I will give an example that the second family went to a place that called Kibbutz Bet Keshet. The very secular kibbutz that I assume that most of the Israeli never heard the name and certainly doesn't know where, where it's located. Right, right. And very secular, there's no shul. The first day that I visit them, my way is to go and check before, you know, what's going on. You speak to some community leaders, or you speak to people. I speak to the leaders. I speak to the to to, to the members of the kibbutz, and, and I remember that the first conversation that I have was was the middle of the day. I was looking, and I asked people if it's shul here. The first person that I met was a guy that worked in a workshop in one of the metal business in the kibbutz. Right. And I says, please, do you know if there's any shul in the in that that area? Right. He looked at me, steering me. He says, synagogue, Beta Knesset. He says, come over. He has like a small room. When I came close, I realized he's an Arabic that workers. He's a he's a worker there. He says to me, you see, this is small room. It's the only it's the only place that no one of these kibbutz allowed to step in. He says, what do you mean? He, said, he says, because the old mouse is here having chazir. And for me as a Muslim, chazir cannot come. Meaning everyone on the kibbutz was eating non-kosher. Pig and things like that, and he, he's he a, as a Muslim, As a Muslim. So that room was his safe room for exactly, him. Exactly, for him. So right. nobody allowed, and you ask me about the Knesset. Right. So he's showing you how far removed it was from. Yeah. When I came to buy something in the in the local uh, market, it was like impossible to believe. I came with a friend, and the woman that works there in that you know on the kosher, 
she says, I'm not interested to make, to, to, to make a payment for Haredi. She didn't want to sell you anything? Right. Wow. Then I, I realize how necessary I work. This couple that moved in after one year, she became the member of the culture department of the kibbutz. Wow. And you ask me what my way is, because we're not, we live together, we're not interested in focusing just to teach the Yiddish guy. Right, you're not just uh, coming there to like, from a, like a, a superior position. You're coming as sending people that really will be a part of the community. Exactly. And will be taking and receiving, and it seems like, and really sharing in the and, community. And that we explain more than anybody else, what does it mean? Gadol shimusha yoter milimuda. Can you explain what that means? It's meaning that when you close to your rabbi, you learn more, or it's more important than what you learn at the shiur. Being around and being together. The personal example is, is more important than the book learning. And exactly. And basically, when we build the trust, and from, from an honest point, not from a mission. Right. It's not, you're not trying to be manipulative. Exactly. But you're trying to really create true human bonds. And that's a beautiful thing. If you don't care about the, your fellow Jew, there will be no influence. There will be no... No Torah. What's some of the greatest challenges you, you face now as we start to wrap up? What are some of the difficulties currently and, and where do you kind of want to go with this organization? What do you want to do to, to grow it? You know, I have to tell you that um, we were more and more aware about the curiosity and about the really um, thirst of people to hear and to know that we opened a program called partners in Torah, Chavruse, yeah. in, our, in Hebrew, and we have 20,000 people learning every week together. Wow. I can say it's through the phone, I can say that every and each settlement today in Eretz Yisrael has a Torah, at least once a week. Even the most anti-secular places, there are few people quietly, even highly, learning Torah with Avrachim, with the wives, one-on-one -on -one for now for 14 years. It's very rare that we offer a program and people um, reject it. It's very rare. Chavusa program is growing every year. We have a special, special program for high school teachers, secular high school teacher, and from high school teacher to give them the, the format, the base, to join together for a program, thinking what they can do together for the benefit of the communities. We have like 15, 20 meetings. We believe that this, is, this, is, uh, this message will create a big difference. Because schools, especially high schools today, are very, very sensitive and uh, very nervous about any any different spirit that's coming and the principals and the staff try to avoid everything that's not familiar for them by having program together we open them and we see the big difference it's all back to personal relationship to trust to run away from the stereotype 
everybody today in Israel understands that this is a big threat. This is a big threat. And basically, day by day on the news, it's just a separation in Israel between different groups. And if we not be careful, it can harm all of us. You know that there are many, many children that are growing on a hate, hatred, messages by the parents. You know, this Jew is not for me, this, that Jew is not a real Jew. I see in various cases that when you have, for instance, Haredi in the playground, some of the parents take the children and, and disappear. And the opposite too. Right. People don't want to interact with each other. And they're afraid. That's not the one. They're afraid. They, you know, the statistics show that many of the secular feel more comfortable with Arabs than with the Haredim. But this can be on the other way also. And uh, without this bridging engagement, and I have to tell you that we, Baruch Hashem, we're not the only players. We're 1%. We're 1% of 1% from what's going on in Israel. And you feel like Israel, there's a, not, there's a lot happening now in terms of people trying to bring others together and creating more harmony in the country. Yeah, it's not easy because today with, a, with, with a social media, it's become more and more difficult because it's easy to throw dirt right. and to take extreme cases and show it as that's a style of, of the places of the society. We're very worried about that, but we, we try even more. We try even more to come and to engage. I can tell you that Eret uh, HaShachar is very welcoming today by 90% of the kibbutzim in Eretz Yisrael. It's too, close to 300 kibbutzim, and we're very welcome in Moshevim, because you know that whenever we will do, we will do together. We never try to push more than, than the actual community willing. I'll give you two examples. One example is we ask to build a shul. Separation in, in shul is the biggest issue. We built already 45 shuls in the 45 different kibbutzim. Now I built, I'm busy with four communities. And there's another 15 on, online. We never insist to have a mechitza in the shul. We never. We have one rule, that the people that come and regulate the shul, they will decide what mm -hmm. the style of the shul. The ones most invested. There's no one shul without mechitza. If we will come and say, yes, mechitza is our condition, most of the doors will be closed right. completely. Can't, can't force your way through. Can't force, and I try to to explain and 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 helps all our avrachim, all our workers to come to come through a point of respect, belief, appreciate, and love. Unless you join all those ideas together, you cannot. You know, it's what whatever you do, it's temporary. Therefore, we're not we're not trying, we're not pushing to to the chuvim movement. We give you the opportunity, we hand the cup, we suggest you to try, we suggest you to try. We never feed you. It has to be internal, it works. And sometimes it takes more time, but we believe 
It's a long-term investment. It's a long-term investment. We're always worried and busy to give the opportunity, but uh, we're not convinced. You're not salesmen, you're, we're you're friends. We're friends, we offer, we can explain. Say to my, to all my colleagues, you know, Kyiv today is not doing by mouth, by your tongue, it's doing by your ears. But your ability to listen and to understand, to accept and to be part of other Jews, that's the biggest cure that you can achieve. Beautiful. What a wonderful way to, to close. And I think it's an incredible example, this organization, of what is possible when we open our hearts and our, our lives to others instead of closing off or building walls. And instead of saying, you know, they're this and they're that, actually to come into a community, to live among people that are different, and to really spread your own uh, sense of belief and love and respect, as you said, uh, and watch that reciprocate and watch those bonds form in just a very natural and organic way for years and years over time until everyone really is elevated together. Um, it's an incredible model and uh, one that I find very inspiring. I just want to, to add that during the year I realized how community is important to live together. In America, I never saw Balchuvel you know, out of community. Right. It's part of something. Sure. In Israel, they all rejected. They're not part of anything. They're not part of the school. They're not part of the school. They're not part of the wedding. Shiduchim word. They're not part of even to get aliyah in the shul. They're not privileged to play with the children. Right. They're out, out, and they have to grow by themselves. And that's caused tremendous problems. Right. Now I start, a year ago, Call and offer retired American rabbonin, American English, outside of Israel to join us and to come and live. They understand what does it mean community. They realize well, what does it mean to everybody have the right to be in the shul. Right. So you're importing the uh, the talents. They're importing now the talents. Them. From America, right? And from the Israeli perspective, they're out of the stereotype, you know, right. the difference. They, right. You know, they're not part of the politics. And, um, of course, they're coming with a lot of experience. Right. And that's something very, very special. Invaluable. I told you, my wife, uh, when she, we read an article about this a couple of weeks ago, my wife said, okay, now, now we have our retirement plans. So, <laughs> okay. save me a good community. You know, <laughs> I have a result of secular people in Israel that I have, I can continue my business. <laughs> I make sure that there are few, There's plenty a, left. Few, a few settlements that will remain. Yeah. I, I, I like to invite you to join us for our famous program with Yom Kippur davening and holidays programs. Amazing. You know, Yom Kippur, when we go to the Kibbutzim on Yom Kippur, they're shocked. You're coming to us on your holidays, the holiday of the year, instead to be in Yerushalayim of Nebak, you come to, to be with us. Incredible. This is a message. Right. Actions speak louder than words, we say. Yeah. We, I have no Yom Kippur unless I'm here. And I always suggest people to come and experience that because even beside what the benefit of, of this action, but if you want to really definitely Yom Kippur, you should come with us. You'll see a Jew that doesn't know what does it mean, Tfilat Anashim Elumada. They never saw davening. So whenever they do, 
whenever how they stand. Everything is fresh and everything's everything is is real. Everything is is coming from the deepest point that possible. You awesome. see people that the first time in shul, but they couldn't stop crying. And they everything is so exciting for them. And you see that you you in in a real environment, in an Ayom Kippur environment, we try some of the some of the places that we can offer that. We eat with them, Sudam of Sekes, and we eat with them after in their lunch rooms, in the kibbutz lunch room, or I call it like the place that everybody gathered for, for meals. And we part of Yom Kippur, the preparation of Yom Kippur and the celebration after Yom Kippur. Beautiful. And um, most of the people that I know that experienced this davening once, cannot go back to regular davening. <laughs> it's addicting. Uh, Rabbi, tell us where we can learn more about the organization online. So you can go to ayeletashachar.org. You can go to Chavrusa Facebook. You can go to YouTube and says Irgun Ayelet Hashachar. You will see hundreds of uh, short movies. And I'm all welcoming you when you come to Eretz Yisrael. Please, my Israeli phone number is 972-52-6176-222. We have 200 employees in our organization. And we would like to share it with uh, everybody. There are many communities that came and experienced, and I believe that was a very, very special time for them. Amazing. If you like to understand Israel, you can try. Okay, Rabbi Shlomo Ranan, Ayelet HaShachar, an incredible, inspirational organization, and man, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And now, as promised, from B'nai Brak, the dynamic, indefatigable, mother of eight and connector of thousands our conversation with ricky sito we are here in the very wonderful and beautiful and very religious city of b'nai Brak, suburb of tel aviv on the border of ramat Gan, with ricky siton the director of women's programming and the director of the chavuta study partner program for ayat hashachar we've already interviewed Rabbi Shlomo Ra'anan, its founder, and he insisted that we must speak with his right-hand woman, really the powering force behind so many of its activities, in particular its women's division, Ricky Siton. How are you, Ricky? Baruch Hashem. Thank you. How are you? Thank you very much. Doing great. Thank you for joining us. I know that you're a little bit uh, nervous with the English uh, translation, and that's fine. We are, after all, in Israel, and you're Israeli, so it's acceptable. If I was doing a podcast in Hebrew, I would probably be nervous as well. Um, so thank you for stretching to, uh, to do this. Um, so Ricky, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. Okay. Um, I was born in Tel Aviv uh, in a very poor uh, neighborhood. In Tel Aviv. In the south? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my family became more religious. Yeah. And when I was uh, a very young uh, girl. Do you remember it? Or it was already you were very? A little bit. Yeah. And I feel and grow up like a Haredi girl. And all my life I ask myself what different in me all the people around me was very different. 
uh, we were religious and uh, the people uh, very different way. And, uh, and in Tel Aviv especially, yeah. it's a very secular city in general. Very secular city, yeah, and very secular people. And I ask my, myself, why? Uh, this is like a uh, mirror, and this mirror caused me to think a, a lot, what does it mean to, to be Jewish? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to be orthodox? What is? And uh, I found myself like an ambassador of Elohim. Of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of the Torah, of the, I don't know. Uh, nobody uh, put me in this job, but the life, but uh, 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 always when uh, happened something with Haredi or with uh, the people ask, what happened? Why you do it? And I do nothing, yeah, but, but they uh, saw Haredi, so they, uh, they come and ask what happened, what the, and they need to, to answer. And sometimes I don't want, don't know what to answer, but... So you were, as a young girl, already really questioning a lot and trying to figure out like why you did the things that you did and why other people maybe didn't do those things. Was that approach accepted in, your, in the community where you were? Did people in your school or, or in your family encourage you to ask questions or they didn't want you asking so many questions? Uh, no, because I was very good girl. I don't ask in the school. I ask uh, myself and my friend and my uh, uh, family and I go to the lectures, uh, the audience was uh, secular, and I uh, sit in the pina. In the corner? In the corner and listen. Interesting. So you were going to classes that were geared towards people from all backgrounds so that you could, yourself could learn. Yeah, I, I did it in quiet. Right. Nobody knows that I go and listen. And they go to the book and to our book, uh, Torah and Mefarshim uh, and, and commentaries, yeah. Read, yeah. And I have a very good friend that uh, did it with me. And it's, uh, I, I wish my children uh, that they will have a very good friend like me. It's very good. That's beautiful. Yeah. So you grew up obviously around a lot of different kinds of people. As you got older, did you know that you wanted to do something to teach or to, to help other people or to, to, you know, be, like you said, an ambassador for Judaism? Was that something that you knew you wanted to do? Uh, I don't think that I know that this is, uh, it will be the job of my life, but uh, I very love people and the difference uh, between the people teach me that I love people and it's not matter if the people religious or secular or uh, young or uh, old, I love people. So, Baruch Hashem, I found myself in, in this job, in job with people and I'm very happy. I, I uh, always I say that my car dance in the way to the job because I am lucky, because I have very good luck uh, uh, to do what I love to do. Yeah, it's like it's not a burden. No, no, no. It's very good uh, luck and siyata dishmaya. Yeah. Uh, so I'm so happy that this that uh, I work with people and different people. How did you come to get involved specifically with this organization? 
with Ayala Tashaka, how old were you? What were you doing at the time? Were you married already? And uh, whoa, this is uh, really a story. Uh, story and history. <laughs> story and history. <laughs> yeah. Um, before uh, 15 years ago, I uh, began to work in Ayala Tashaka. Uh, I was um, a bite, um, like... Uh, like a dorm counselor, like a dorm mother. Yeah, yeah, to the very special uh, group in Yafo city. This is a very poor neighborhood, and the, the girls, young girls, uh, friend to Arabic uh, guys. Mm. And um, it's very dangerous because they go and make drugs mm. and sometimes marry with the uh, Arabic uh, guys. And it's a very uh, big problem. And I began to work with uh, this, yeah. Uh, I, I very love them. It's very uh, hard work because it's a once in my life that I met Gosh. young girls with no motivation to live. Really? Mm. Yeah, and it's very, and it's not matter what happened. They have no motivation and, and I can't uh, uh, saw it. It's very, very um, hurt and uh, we work together and uh, we bring them a lot of uh, courses of cosmetica, cosmetics and uh, computer uh, challenge and a lot of uh, uh, educational opportunities yeah uh, education and atama uh, and uh, to lift them up so you found the organization and you started working mm -hmm. a little bit yeah, and, uh, and after, and the Macbill, uh, after, and came to work in the office, and I was drawn on uh, to the work uh, with the people knowing the office. And it's uh, with uh, Kibbutzim and Moshavim, like uh, very small cities. Small towns and villages, small yeah. Small towns, yeah, villages, yeah. And they have no touch to, to Yadut and to nothing. Uh, and we did... Um, happening around the Chagim. Right, in holiday parties and things Holid like that. Yeah, and, and it's very uh, hard to go to the Kibbutzim, but it's very big surprise to know that uh, uh, in the end, all of us brothers and loves. It's very sad what the media do, be because it really, really build a wall between us, really. And in the true, we don't hate One each other. So uh, people enjoy us, and uh, we begin with one place, and more and more and more, and it's go. I think in one uh, Sukkot holiday, we did 40, 50 happenings. Wow! And all these different places yeah, in yeah. one week. Yeah, uh, we run in one place to other. And uh, it's very meragesh, very... Emotional. Emotional. It's really emotional uh, to meet eyes to eyes the people and to speak with them. And, you know, we can speak one each other, but without the media between us. Only we speak. We, so we can see. Uh, uh, the eyes. We can hear. We can. We can fight. We can 
say what what sit on our heart, but we can say it, and after we can love. Beautiful. So you became more and more involved, more drawn in. Eventually, you started to become higher in the organization. What did you start to do once you were becoming more involved? Over the past 10 years, I have been the head of a program consisting of 10,000 Haredi and secular women, Chavrutas, study partners. Wow. And they're studying on the, on the phone? Yeah, they study on the phone, they speak on the phone, and it's create very uh, beautiful connect between very far peoples. I can tell you about my friend, my Chavruta. I met Ona five years ago. She worked in Yediot Achronot newspaper. And the newspaper? Yeah, it's a very big uh, newspaper. She is a left wing and she is an atheist. And she from the kibbutz uh, and, and now she lives in Tel Aviv. It's very closer to Nebrak. Only 10 uh, minutes. Uh, between us, but never, uh, but she never came to Nebrak uh, before this trip. And Yediot uh, Achronot takes them to the uh, trip in Nebrak to see how how the Haredi uh, people look like, how they uh, think, how they speak, like the like the <laughs> exactly. Uh, and in the beginning of the trip, uh, when I met the uh, people. I say, okay, today I took off my arms and my tail, and now I like you. <laughs> yeah. Did they laugh? Uh, yeah, of course. It's very good to break the ice. I yeah, I say it in Hebrew, so it's fun, funny and not like now. <laughs> and uh, all day we go from the step to step and we met teachers in the Haredi school and we met women in the Bet Yoldot. Uh, oh, the, uh, the... Not hospital, not hospital, Bet Achlama. Uh, after hospital. After giving birth, the yeah. women go to recover and recuperate and... Yeah, and the, and the newspaper men uh, sit and, and speak with them uh, and it's very interesting conversation. And we go to the IROX, it's a computer service, iTech, of Haredi young woman, huh. Hasidat Gur. Wow. Yeah, that opened this, uh, they build uh, this business uh, with a secular woman, Hasidat Gur, a very secular, very religious, uh, religious woman. Uh, build up this uh, business, very nice business, that only Haredi women work in this uh, business. Uh, now, today, uh, work in this, in, in IROX, 150 women. So, in the end of this day, I told the people about Havruta project. I told about Haredi women and secular women that uh, speak on the phone about what they want to speak. Uh, you can speak about Parashat Shavua, right, you can speak about relationships between husband and wife, and you can speak about astrology, <laughs> and you can speak about what you want, uh, but, but your partner must be from the other side. If you're religious, your partner 
secular and if you're secular, your partner is religious. And uh, Orna, my chavruta, said, I want to be your chavruta. And I say, okay, because I'm very shy to say I'm very busy and I have no time. <laughs> and I don't know to what I say, okay, after I, uh, I know. Uh, over the five years, we fight and we laugh. And we speak about all the things in the world because it's very different, it's very far, it's very crazy that we friend. Ona is a left-wing, is atheist. She's right in the newspaper, and very big design in the newspaper. And she thinks that the Haredi is very, you know, like people from the other star. It's not really people. Uh, and she wants to, to join to Chavruta because she wants to know how intelligent women can believe. That's all. She come to anthropology experiment. So uh, I am a Haredi woman, mother of eight. My husband is Avrech. Uh, he studies Torah full time. All the day and all the life, Bezrat Hashem. And we're living in Nebrak. So I, I feel that really a very big, very deep path between us. And still, we're very good friend now. My family know Orna and her family know us. And it's not only our relationship, it's very big circles around this connect. Today, in Chavruta, we have 10,000 Haredi and secular women. But I have come to realize that even this great initiative, it's not enough. So we build up groups that do together a, a work. We have groups in education, groups in academics, and groups in uh, the community. In the uh, education, we bring Haredi principle and secular principle to uh, around uh, one uh, table. They sit and learn about uh, ways of education from uh, uh, the each other. And this population of the principal, it's very hard to work with them because they, uh, the art core of, uh, of... Right, these are the leaders of each society. <laughs> yeah, they're the leader. So uh, it's very action <laughs> meeting. Uh, it's not uh, easy, but it's very, it's very important because they take it from the table and go with this out. And uh, also we, we bring teachers from the Haredi and Secular and uh, uh, they meet, speak and do together initiative in the school. In the academy we take students, secular students and Haredi students and they meet and speak about the very hot potato. They speak about hot button issues and they, uh, they fighting and they uh, shout, uh, shouting and they uh, laughing and in the end of the story they very uh, love. Okay, and in the community we have very nice uh, meeting between Haredi and secular uh, women. One of the groups uh, is a theater community. Very nice because the people can, can be uh, very free uh, to say what they want to say and with a different way, no, knowing the only in, in the speak, 
but it's very nice. This is a very nice way to, to say what we want to say. And after we go out with a show and the actors speak with the audience. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's very beautiful. And also, I think, Ricky, you mentioned that a person doesn't have to only speak Hebrew to participate in this kind of a program. Is that correct? Yeah. You can speak Hebrew, you can speak English, you can speak French, you can speak Spanish. What do you speak? We can... We but you only give a partner that speaks the same language, right? And may, maybe I teach you Hebrew. Maybe it's easier if you speak different languages, then yeah. nobody fights. It's a very interesting idea. You like it? Okay. okay. That one is free. The next one I charge. This is the next. Uh, and, and Ricky, if people want to join to this program, people want to get either involved in finding a study partner in Israel in whatever language, or if they want to join one of these special groups, uh, or if they have ideas for other programs that, that Ayala Shachar or you could run, how can they get involved or get in touch with you? You can Google it uh, and, and look about Chavruta Ayala Shachar. You found it, and you want to call us? Or your email, Ricky. Um, our email, chavruta.b2 at gmail.com. Beautiful. Say it again. Chavruta.b2 at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, now, you, you mentioned to me, Ricky, that along your journey, you had a very special opportunity to go to the United States and study at an excellent institution to do a leadership seminar in Harvard. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, except for the fact that I am very weak in English, this is a, a big opportunity to learn and to take home very wise ideas and to know very nice people and very interesting people. And it's really changed my uh, thinking and give me a big inspiration to do what I do, but better. What do you want to still accomplish in the future? What is still missing in society? You're doing so much, but what more do you want to see the organization do? What more do you want to do? Um, we did a lot of uh, work. We have a lot of people in uh, our initiative, but it's not enough. Today, I and we feel uh, uh, that this time it's very hard and we must do uh, more. Because uh, if you uh, listen to the media, you can't, you can't listen. It's very, all day the, the media speak about very bad and very sad things that happen between us uh, in, in Am Israel. Haredi, secular, the tea, and it's crazy. You know, in the Darom, in the south now, we don't know if war will break out. But in our nation, in Am Israel, I'm really afraid that the war will break out. So we must to continue and must to do more. And I want that, I want that every Jewish person should have a friend with someone who is different from them. Not that they have to change, but at least they should recognize one another. Well, Ricky, it's really amazing to, to hear, after hearing so much from Rabbi Shlomo about everything that's going on in Ayelet HaShachar and the 167 communities where there are now 
families that are serving as role models and breaking down barriers and dispelling stereotypes to hear from uh, really his right-hand woman who is the driving force behind so many of these programs, who is um, establishing so many of these study partnerships and who is dreaming to grow those partnerships and to continue to build, who's not satisfied with 10,000, but you want 100,000 and a million and till all 8 million people in Israel, I guess, have connection one to the other. Um, it's a beautiful dream and hopefully can become a reality so that the tensions that we experience can be diffused and that the love can really blossom between us and that we can have a much more understanding society, a society where people can learn from and grow with one another. So Ricky Siton, Ayelet Shachar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.